forever. Dog. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and daily taker of Trintelix and Pepsid AC. Oh my God. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual, icon, wink, and I went to one Sundance event and I think I'm somebody. Whoa. 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 Wait, <laughs> I did not think you were going to say something about acid reflux. Why? I'm always talking about my acid reflux. I know. I just wasn't expecting it right now for some reason. It really tickled me. Tickled me in my throat while I coughed from my acid reflux. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa is so disappointed. Yeah, she hates it. (laughs) Melissa's our producer. She hates it. We can see her face whilst we record. And let me tell you, we're getting real time reactions. Uh, What was your fancy Sundance event? Okay, so I just want to talk about this because I don't know if people have the chance to see it, but it was really cool. My friend Fazia Mirza, who's I think been on this show, she helped facilitate and worked on this film. She and her wife, whose name is Andrea Wilson, who's an awesome person, they worked on this film called Sirens. It's a documentary about this heavy metal band of all women in Lebanon, and they're called Slave to Sirens, the band. And it's about they're like trying to become a heavy metal band that performs. But like it's a scene that has to be underground in Lebanon. And two of them are queer. I don't know about the other ones, but two of them are queer and they have this will they won't they like up and down romantic relationship. And it's just like really fun, like band dynamics, but also like coming out to your parents and the parents not accepting it and trying to hide all this stuff and being in. Lebanon where like you know there's bombs going off but and how to like meet girls and like you know how to in, be involved in the underground queer scene the movie was great and then we went to the um, after party for it which was like outdoors at um, a bar and met the girls in Utah no 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 here in LA and we met the girls from the band I mean it's illegal to be gay where they are so I was like have you guys been to West Hollywood and they were like what's that and this is their first time in the U.S. And I was like, it's a gay city. And they were like, what? (laughs) And so like we followed each other on Instagram. And then I was like, "Okay, come out to West Hollywood with us on Thursday. So last night we all went out in WeHo and like I took them to a drag show and they were like they like couldn't believe what was going on. And then we went out to the Abbey and there were like, you know, the go-go dancers. And it's just like this whole the whole part of town is gay and Fazia had told me that she brought them to Jumbo's Clown Room, which is like a a really lovely little strip club in L.A. And it was just like they could not. They were like and it made me feel really for the first time in a long time, really grateful for like my situation as a queer person. And then like this morning, the one of the girls from the band messaged me and was like, sorry if we were so weird last night. Like every experience is brand new and our like brains are exploding. Wow. And I was like, you are not weird at all. Like you were wonderful. We had a great time just like throwing money at go-go dancers at the Abbey. Like do not apologize at all. And they were just like, even like at Mary's, the idea that uh, one of the drinks you can get comes in like a leg like a woman's leg (laughs) glass one of the girls got one of those and was like so excited and they and they were like I said oh you you can keep it if you want the glass and she was like I cannot bring this into my country (laughs) so it was like just very cool to show them something that I go to all the time and that they were just like this is such a privilege Mm -hmm. it was really interesting 
a totally different perspective on Los Angeles and on the U.S. You know, they can't even hold hands or whatever. And then there I brought them to this like gay this this entirely gay district that they didn't even know existed. So it was really it was really interesting. And like, I think a really good wake up call or reminder to me. And it felt cool to see their reaction to everything. Oh, that's so lovely. And I was so glad to hear they had a good time because I was like, I don't know how they feel about any of this. Oh, I'm sure they had a great time. Yeah. I mean, we were like dancing and like, you know, having fun. But like in the moment, I'm like, is this interesting to them at all? And (laughs) they were they were having a good time. Oh, that's so lovely. And shout out to my sister who works at Hamburger Mary's in Los Angeles. If any of you guys ever want to go there, she will be there and she will be behind the bar and she will be grouchy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. We have got an excellent episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to anti-MLM activist Roberta Blevins, who is a sheer delight. And later we'll be discussing facing your fears. When have we done it and when did it go well and when did it go not so well? (laughs) But first, we have got to answer a listener's question so you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous. Ooh. So the subject of Anonymous's email was, How much to disclose in a relationship? Mm -hmm. Hi, Gabby and Allison. I'm six months into a long distance relationship with someone who is exceptionally empathetic and kind. The problem is he's extremely smart and is in a very rigorous med school program, which has brought up a ton of insecurities on my end, as I've always felt very dumb and lazy. (gasps) I've struggled with attention slash focus my entire life and only recently got diagnosed with ADHD at 24 years old. This was great news because I finally had answers, but also devastating as I already have OCD and it's very complicated to treat many things at once. Because my relationship is long distance and started that way, my boyfriend doesn't see just how much I struggle to function and complete daily tasks. He doesn't see how messy my apartment is or how much I generally struggle and I don't tell him. I'm embarrassed about it and am intimidated by just how productive and goal oriented he seems to be. I'm worried that once anyone sees how much I struggle, they will misunderstand my ADHD symptoms for being lazy and dumb and break up with me. Due to masking, my boyfriend thinks I'm a lot more competent and high achieving than I actually am. I have a fancy job title at a fancy firm, but I'm unhappy and underperforming. What is the best way to open up to him about these struggles without scaring him away and without being too disparaging of myself? Thanks. Oh my God, this is a really, this is a pickle. Mm-hmm. This is a really intense question. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you you ask questions and then the answer is like, I don't know. I'm perplexed by this one. <laughs> Whoa. I think that maybe the first step, and again, who the hell knows? I could be very wrong, is improving the relationship you have towards yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of self, not hatred, but self-judgment, a lot of like, insecurities, feeling like you're you're not enough, you know, and I wonder what it would be like if if instead of prioritizing how do I share this stuff with my partner, instead prioritize how do I learn to love and accept myself for who I am? Mm-hmm. How do I learn to just see my ADHD as a part of me instead of some 
you know, huge flaw or something that someone would be so judgmental of, you know, you want to get to a place. It's not that I've, I've overcome my OCD, but I'm in a place where if somebody didn't understand or didn't accept my OCD, then I, it's not somebody I would want in my life because I don't judge myself for having OCD, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the work really starts with you and how you're framing all of these things, even to yourself, right? Because if you bring to your partner, hi, I, I, I can't do anything. I'm terrible at my job. I'm awful at everything. Uh, you're going to think I'm lazy. You're going to think I'm this. You're going to think I'm that. You know, you're projecting a lot onto them because you haven't developed like a healthy relationship with yourself quite yet. So that would really be my step one, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, especially with long distance. Everyone in long distance relationship, at least with me, I've me and Mal were long distance for a year and a half. And I think with long distance, Everybody is kind of able to show only parts of themselves, especially only six months in. And almost even in a regular relationship, six months in, you're kind of on your best behavior. Ideally, you're putting your best foot forward. You're not entirely, you know, you call it masking, which like I totally get. But you're you're not in giving them everything because one, you don't trust them yet. And two, like it's new. And so, you know, he might be having his own struggles that you don't know about, that he's sort of putting his best foot forward in this in this way. And with long distance too, like you're not getting the whole picture of him and he's not getting the whole picture of you. And like when you see each other, you're visiting. So everybody's like, you know, on their their best behavior or it seems like a vacation. Whereas like that's very different from being in your apartment day to day, from seeing you after work day to day where you're like unhappy and you you have you're having problems at work. So like you know, you're being very hard on yourself, but like everybody kind of does this the first six months or and it's easier to do in a long term. I mean, on a long distance relationship. So that being said, you have him up on this pedestal that like may not be accurate. And I think sometimes we see ourselves as really complex because we know all of our flaws and we don't extend that to other people. So we're like, well, he's perfect. I mean, he's in med school. He's perfect. He's smart compared to me, it's like bias because you see yourself doing all these things. You see everything you do, but you don't see everything the other person does. Yeah. And, you know, I think also, you know, right now you have the benefit of time. You're only 24. Mm-hmm. He's in med school. It doesn't seem like tomorrow he's going to show up at your door and you're going to be living together full time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that you you have some time to work on on yourself and in your and how you're framing all of these things. And then once you've kind of gotten into a better place with that, sort of start to reveal more and, and talk a little more openly. But this I don't think that like you need to sit this person down tomorrow and be like, my apartment's messy when you're not here. <laughs> you know, yeah, like absolutely. And, and say it with panic and say it with the expectation of rejection. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you can also maybe start to just you know, when he does come visit you, maybe don't overly clean up, maybe slowly start to let it look a little bit more like it normally looks and Mm -hmm. slowly start to let him see a little bit more. But it doesn't need to be like a huge, quick reveal completely behind the curtain, because you don't seem to have this time pressure of that, like, you're, you know, you're both 45 and want to start a family right now and need to move in together tomorrow. Right? Yeah. I also think with ADHD, a lot of times people with ADHD have been told by others their whole life that they are dumb and lazy. I mean, those words really stuck out because like people I know in my life with ADHD have also used those exact words about themselves Mm -hmm. because I think society and maybe a teacher, maybe their parents, other kids, I don't know, 
have like their whole lives been like, you are dumb and lazy. And so that I think is like a really big two-hander that comes with ADHD. Uh, And even once you know your diagnosis, you still have to get over in your mind the idea that like, oh, I don't have a disorder. I'm just dumb and lazy. Or, you know, that the disorder makes you dumb and lazy. Both of those words, like I, I cannot stress enough how common they are with ADHD. And it's not true. It's it's that your brain works in a different way, that you haven't been using it in the way that it works because society has forced a square peg into a round hole. Now you have the amazing opportunity to figure out what does work for your brain. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think you're maybe taking on too much at once, right? Especially if you just got this diagnosis. Like you still need to figure out what that means to you, how you think about it, how you're going to incorporate it into your life. And then you can take the second step of how do I discuss this with my partner? You know, the first thing is really is really massaging and figuring out that relationship to it yourself. Mm -hmm. And in six months, he might reveal some stuff. You don't know. Right. Exactly. I think honestly, just putting partners on a pedestal at all regardless of how we feel about ourselves is never, never really that helpful in the long run. Yeah. It doesn't turn out. Yeah. They could be absolutely wonderful, but they're still a person. (laughs) Yup. So hopefully that helps. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Roberto Blevins. Stay tuned. just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show is roberta blevins who is a former hun which we will get to who left the mlm multi-level marketing world in 2017 and began publicly educating and speaking out against it you might know her from the lula rich documentary in which she is an amazing part um, and she's basically an anti-MLM activist. So hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Nice to see you again. So always a pleasure. Always. Always. So what is a hun? Oh, well, a hun is uh it's it's a term. It's a it's a term for anybody who has sold for a multi-level marketing company. And that's basically just because they often use Hey, hon, when they message you. Oh. <laughs> and so that's where that comes from. So yeah, a hun is really anybody that has been in that space. Uh, I am proudly an ex-hun, and I call myself an ex-hun. <laughs> hey, girly. Hey, lady. Thought of you. Thought you'd be perfect for this. Don't know anything about you. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so what is multi-level marketing? Oh, okay. So multi-level marketing is basically legal pyramid schemes that are protected uh, by the government. <laughs> That's the closest and quickest description I can give you. <laughs> Why are they protected by the government? Well, so multi-level marketing actually has a lobby and a caucus called the Direct Sellers Association. They've got offices right on K Street with the best of them. They use money to gain political favor. Yes. And they are bipartisan. They've got their fingers in Kirsten Cinema's pockets right now. <laughs> okay, that is shocking. I had no idea that there was a caucus that lobbied for multi-level marketing. <laughs> what why? What is the point of that? 
well, because they're pyramid schemes and without this very specific set of rules, they would be pyramid schemes. Like, which are is the only way that they can, which are illegal, right? It's the only way that they can remain legal is to follow these very specific set of rules that are set forth by the Direct Sellers Association. Not every MLM is a member of the DSA, but if they are, you can see it right at the bottom of their website. They proudly display that. They um, proudly say that they go by the DSA's Code of Ethics, which is written ethics. I don't know if people are following them, but they definitely wrote them down. So, <laughs> What is a pyramid scheme? So a pyramid scheme is a type of financial fraud where, uh, similar to a Ponzi, you are recruiting more people into the scheme. But a Ponzi is more like a singular pyramid where there's like one person that's like the, the mastermind in a Ponzi where you're getting people in and you're paying the older investors with the money from the newer people that come in. With a pyramid scheme, it's like tons and tons of little Ponzi schemes all nestled in inside of each other, essentially. Um, and the main focus in a pyramid scheme is recruiting people to recruit more people into the pyramid scheme infinitely. And how did you get recruited? I actually sort of chose. I mean, every time that I had had an MLM come across my desk that looked good was always from somebody that I loved. So that's the first thing. A lot of times, like when you get recruited into these things, usually, although not always, but usually it's with somebody that you might know and trust, like your aunt or your cousin or your best friend or your coworker. They're very innocuous in that way, but at the same time, they're incredibly insidious. You know, you think you're joining like a, a neat business opportunity because you really like those nail stickers and you might as well join because you can get a discount because you're already spending so much on them. But uh, once you get in, you realize it's it's a lot more than than just that. So the problem is, is that with a legitimate business, you are selling a product. And what happens with these MLMs or pyramid schemes is that you get money for recruiting. So instead of actually selling your wares, you are making most of your money off of signing up other people. And then those people must then sign up other people to keep making money. And it becomes less about the product and more about recruiting other people into this mess. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so with LuLaRoe, like explain how that started and then when did it become more about the bonuses? So I think it was always about the bonuses. But again, like in multi-level marketing, they want it to look like a business. That's the first thing to understand. Like multi-level marketing wants you to think it's a business. They're going to do everything in their power <laughs> to convince you that this is a business. But it's not a business. It's a cult that looks like a business. It's a scam that looks like a business. It's a pyramid scheme that looks like a business. It's a dangerous organization that looks like a business. But once you get in, if you have any business acumen whatsoever, eventually you're going to come up with a lot of red flags and you're going to be like, wait a second, like this is not a business. You figured out like that's basically what happened with me. So it's literally always about the bonus because that's where the true money comes in. Just to clarify, the way that they get money is because every time you sign up a new recruit, the new recruit has to buy a lot of the product to be able to then, quote unquote, sell it. And that's how they're making their money. Right. And then you get a bonus because you've brought in this new recruit who just made a huge order with the company. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it depends because a lot of times and then we're going to get into this Orwellian doublespeak here. A lot of times in an MLM, they're like, we don't pay you to recruit. You don't get paid until after you recruit somebody. So a lot of times maybe you won't even get a bonus on that first initial package because that's that's a recruitment bonus. You know what I mean? And so they 
MLMs, again, they've got this caucus. They've got this team of people that are like, these are the rules. Like, you have to follow them or it's a pyramid scheme. And so, like, they have these weird loopholes in this Orwellian doublespeak where they're like, it's not recruiting. It's bringing people into an opportunity. Like, there's always <laughs> going to be this, like, <laughs> it's not that, it's this. But, yeah, it, it is about bringing people in and then those people what they're purchasing mostly although here's the thing again with the rules it doesn't look like what they're purchasing but when i start talking to victims and start talking to people that were in these and asking them like well how did you do that and how did that happen they fully admit that they were doing these predatory things on the back end to hit their bonuses and ranks, including opening up fake accounts we call those ghost accounts where you are creating a fake person with a fake email address, and that person is buying stuff from you. But it's you buying stuff from you to hit your ranks, hit your bonuses, and all of these things. Because the first couple months in an MLM, you're going to have all the excitement. Your friends are going to want to support you reluctantly or whatever. You're going to have the, the biggest there. You're going to get all in in those first couple months because you're like, oh my God, this is it's working. It's viable because your warm market is supporting you. They're going to drop off within the first three or so months, and then you're stuck. Now you're even more stuck because of the sunk cost fallacy. Because you thought you were doing great, you invested even more, you put even more money into this, and you get incredibly stuck. And when you're saying investing, you mean buying more product so that you can sell that product to more people. Absolutely. Investing more of yourself too, like emotionally, financially. Again, like I said, they're cults, so they're going to take everything from you, especially if you give it to them. And especially if you if you suspend disbelief when they ask you a question and they say, what's your wildest dream? And you can suspend disbelief and really go on that like utopian, like, oh, my God, it's it's owning a mansion in in, in Europe. That's my biggest dream. I just came up with it. I'm going to work toward that for the rest of my life. It's it's wild. It's suspending disbelief. It's making you understand that um, in this space, you can dream wildly and will support you forever. And every dream is possible. But it's not. It's mathematically impossible. We've proven that so many times. And so, uh, again, with the doublespeak, you're getting from one person saying that this is the most amazing opportunity you'll ever get. Here's all of these people that are so popular. Also, most of the times, the people that they're putting on stage and the people that people are like, I know a six figure earner. It's usually the same person. Like, it's usually the same person everyone's talking about. It's like, yeah, that's the head of the pyramid. We're all talking about that person that we quote unquote know, but we don't really know them. They're just like a figurehead. Just gets very, very insidious. And that recruitment aspect and that investing it's not actual investing. <laughs> it's yeah. it's investing your time, your energy, your money, your dreams, your vulnerability, your hopes. It's all of that. It's absolutely consuming every aspect of you. It becomes you. You wear it like it's a personality. Mm. You get in very deep, very quickly. Yeah. And there's there's no checking, right? Because... We talk about love bombing when we talk about cults, but there's a, a very specific instance of love bombing in multi-level marketing that I'm not sure happens in other cults because I wasn't in them. But in an MLM, when you're in, you've got an upline, you've got a downline, and you've got like a cross line or a lateral line, which is your team. When you're being love bombed in an MLM, you're not only getting it from your up and your down, but you're getting it from the sides as well. And so we call that swarming. And it's essentially being swarmed by a swarm of love bombers. And it is really hard. It's very hard to have any voice of reason because everybody is all in. Everybody is gung-ho. You have any sort of questions about anything, you're going to ask people that are all in. They're going to completely turn your completely valid questions around 
and use it against you. Mm-hmm. Always. One of the things that happens when you join a multi-level marketing company is um, you learn something called your why. And probably in any other place with a regular business, when you have a why, it's like, yeah, okay, like I get it. Like, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm doing this. But in an MLM, they take it even further and they'll ask you something like, why are you doing this? Most people are like, for money, duh. <laughs> but it's deeper than money. So can we go deeper? Why do you need money? And it's like, well, I got to pay my bills. Well, why do you got to pay your bills? Well, like, have a family I have to take care of. Oh, well, but why do you have a family? Why do you chose to be a mother? Oh, that's so inspirational. Why? 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 To the point of tears, to the point where you are like in literal tears, sobbing, thinking you're having a breakthrough, but you're not having a breakthrough. You're having a breakdown. <laughs> right. And then they're going to use that breakdown any time that you have any questions. So... I think I want to leave. But you said you were doing this for your kids. Do you not love your kids anymore? Like, Ah! like I didn't I didn't really think of you as that kind of person. And it gets very manipulative. Wow. (laughs) How did you see your life change once you joined LuLuRoe? Like how what were some big changes that sort of happened? Complete, absolute devotion to LuLuRoe. Thinking I was doing this because they they like to say, like, you're going to put in so much work now because it's going to pay off in a year from now or two years from now or whatever it is. Right. They like to use small business statistics to prove this, even though, again, it's not a business, though those statistics don't really work. And they'll get you in that mind space where you're going to be doing things again. They already know that you'll suspend disbelief for them. Mm -hmm. You've already talked about the mansion in Europe. So they already know that you your mind, you'll let it run. And maybe next time they they want you to suspend disbelief, maybe it's not just to talk about your dreams. Maybe it's to discuss that maybe your husband isn't as supportive as he should be. And this is a problem for us. That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So it it doesn't always happen like that. It's a very slow burn. And they do know like who is and isn't that kind of person that they can manipulate in that way. Another thing MLMs do is they'll do personality tests or like the colors, the color lens tests to find out like who you are. Are you more analytical? Are you more emotional? And again, we'll use that against you. Oh, well, they're just a green. They're just analytical. They're just numbers people. They wouldn't understand the compassionate aspect. They wouldn't understand this. That That's a numbers person. And then they separate people even more so in there. Again, all for manipulation, all to coerce you, to control you, to get you into a point where you're so stuck. They're going to want your entire family involved, get your sister involved, get your husband involved, have them quit their jobs, make this their whole time thing. I mean, I'm assuming most people listening now are going, oh, this sounds like a cult. And it absolutely is. Wow. (laughs) So can we talk a bit about the community aspect you're touching on a little bit? But like when you watch the documentary, It's so interesting, like the cruises and the celebrities, all your friends are in it and stuff. So like, can you talk about like that aspect of the the love bombing? Yeah, I mean, that's just even bigger love bombing, right? So you're going to get little love bombing. Like, you're so beautiful. You're so perfect at this. Like, you're so smart. Your social media's feed is so great. Could you teach us all how to do that? Because you're so good at it. That's going to be the little love bombing that you're going to get on the daily in all your group chats and all your Facebook groups, all your blah, 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 emails, whatever you want to call them. But then you have the big love bombing and those big love bombing things come in the forms of events, parties, special trips, whatever it is. And oftentimes these events are specific to people who have hit certain ranks or have hit certain qualifications. And so there's a a level of exclusivity. Mm -hmm. Right. So now we're creating FOMO. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And at these parties, they really have to be the most amazing thing ever because you want everybody to be there. And the only way these people can get there is to qualify. So they mm-hmm. need to qualify, meaning buying more products, selling more products. Again, there's not a lot of distinction when we've got these ghost accounts of who's buying and who's selling. So again, that doesn't really matter. It's like a moot point because we know that there's a loophole and a workaround for that. And it's just these FOMO. It's just like, you need to be here. And then when you're there, you're encouraged to go live, Mm -hmm. go live in between the trainings and show everybody what they're missing out. Teach them. When you go back to your hotel room for like the hour you have before you have to be at the next thing, go live. Let's manipulate your time even more on, on this quote unquote vacation where you're away from your entire family. You've been in six hours of trainings. Now in the one hour you have to take a shower and rest, you're going to, you're going to be encouraged to go live to your team, to the people that aren't there so that you can share all the knowledge while it's still free in your head oh yes it's so wonderful and then you're rushing because you got to get on the bus to get to the next place to get the next thing it's lots of time manipulation it's lots of suspending of disbelief it's lots of what can we make you do how high can we make you jump how many lines can we make you stand in how many meals will we run out of food and you'll still continue to come back it's all of that and it's all cult tactics all cult manipulation and it's just like a big rah-rah party i often equate it to if anybody's ever seen the children's film trolls In the beginning, <laughs> where they're having that that party with the glitter and some more glitter and everyone's dancing and, you know, that's it. That's it. That's what you feel when you walk through the door. There's loud music. There's lights. Sometimes there's fire on stage, pyrotechnics and fireworks. It's like, what? This is amazing. You're thinking that you're seeing, I don't know, someone actually famous, <laughs> someone actually meaningful and worthwhile and not just the cult leader who's like, I'm so blessed because you're all here. I just flew in on my private jet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And we're just worshiping and there's a lot of false idol worship and there's a lot of faith manipulation in these things. I literally like probably a week ago, I got sent uh, a video of a Monet convention. That's, That's the hair shampoo that makes everybody's hair fall out. Allegedly, they were doing baptisms in the resort's pool. Yeah, it gets religious. Mm-hmm. Now it's not just, I have this shampoo that makes my hair pretty. It's Monet saved my soul. Wow. Ah! I am now saved because of shampoo. Ah! <laughs> well, I have felt that way before, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but not from Monet. Not from them, though. <laughs> but you wow. know what I mean? Like, there's so much to it. And I think a lot of people don't understand. And here's the other thing. Another reason why I, ed- why I educate, like, this is not consent. I didn't consent to be baptized at the Marriott in Scottsdale, Arizona. I didn't consent to that when I signed the dotted line, right? I was like, I'm going to sell leggings or I'm going to sell lipstick or I'm going to yeah. sell shakes. Yeah. I didn't sign up for that. But all of a sudden you find yourself there mm-hmm. and you're not forced, right? No cult is going to force you like that. But you are heavily encouraged because it is so manipulative Mm -hmm. and it's so narcissistic that if you don't do it, there's repercussions and they're not repercussions that everybody would notice. But the repercussions you would notice, like maybe you don't ask, you don't get asked to be on the calls anymore. Maybe you don't get invited to the special things anymore. And you're Mm -hmm. thinking, why? Why not? What happened? Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't do that thing like you should have done that wasn't required and and wasn't consent like you didn't consent to like you know what I mean like it's it's that very fine line of like where am I going and why am I in this handbasket 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. Just between us. And we're back. I guess a big question I have is because there's so many people involved. How many people are actual believers and how many people know that they're actively manipulating the people below them? Do you know what I mean? Like how, Yeah. what level of leadership is like, oh, I'm clearly running a cult for profit. And what percentage of people are like, this is real. Well, the statistics for multi-level marketing for loss is 99%. So I would assume roughly 1% knows what they're doing. Wow. Just based on that statistic alone, right? Like 1% is the top. 1% is successful in, in the way. And when I say successful, I mean in a livable wage, right? If you want to sell Herbalife shakes and you only make $50 a month and you work an extra 40 hours a week for it, like you're losing money. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't care if you think you're making $50. You've now like put in so much time for like, 15 cents an hour like you are so much more than 15 cents an hour you are so Uh much more like you are worth more your self-worth just basic self-worth is worth more than 15 cents an hour and i've done the math i've looked at these income disclosures i've done the math for what the numbers they put out mlmers are making less than prison wages hourly if you break Uh it down that way what yeah How is this legal? How is this happening? How are people continuously signing up, ignoring these facts, ignoring these numbers, thinking because they've been groomed, manipulated and coerced to Mm -hmm. think that they're not average? You're not average. You're Mm. better than average. Like, would you consider? Well, you know, the average person only makes $50 a month. Like, but I feel like you're more than average. Wouldn't you think you're more than average? I'm like, look at the percentages. It's 95, seven point. You like, it's like 95.7% make $50. Like you're in the majority. It's a lie. Yeah. MLMs cannot work without deception. That's the core competency there. Mm -hmm. And if it's not there, it doesn't work. It's a utopian idea. So when you take out flim flam and you take out wishes and unicorn tears and cotton candy dreams what is it it's a scam yeah can you talk a little bit about you realizing it was a scam and your process of getting out of it and untangling your life from it i was feeling it i was like this is not working this is weird what used to work always doesn't work the boxes i'm getting are complete garbage complete trash i used to be able to sell 90 percent within the first 24 hours easy No problem. Buy another box the next day and do it again two days later. Toward the end, I was getting boxes where I could barely sell 10%. I was having like used returns that had other people's notes and stickers on the tags. Lula Rose telling me that's not happening. And I'm like, bullshit. It's literally in my hand. Like I'm literally holding this and you're telling me you're not doing it. What made them bad batches? Well, they were ugly. The prints were horrible. The fabric was cheap. It was scratchy. It was thin. They started when they were making so much money, they started cutting corners. They knew that women were going to buy these things sight unseen because everything was a a surprise box because the the prints changed constantly. So we had no control over what prints we got, only sizes and styles. So they knew that we were going to open boxes sight unseen no matter what. So why make it good? If I'm going to buy a box a week at the tune of $500 plus a week, that's minimum. That's what they said. You should buy at least one box a week minimum. So that's $2,000 a month you're spending minimum with maybe not making anything back, right? It's absolutely insane. So if you're going to be buying these sight unseen, why do I need to put good shit in it? 
Like there's right. surprise eggs for kids, right? There's like one rare in like every 15 cases. But kids will buy case after case after case after case looking for that rare because, oh, my God, that rare. I have a kid. I know exactly what it's like. I'm like, we don't need any more of those dumb things. Yeah. So you started getting terrible packages. Terrible, terrible packages. Terrible. Lying. Gaslighting. And I was like, this is not this is not okay. How long had you been with the company at that point? Like 19 months, maybe. Like I was almost into my third year. I was very close to hitting the next rank, which was coach. And people started leaving because all of these things, like everything was connected. I just wasn't seeing it because I was still successful at that point. I was still at a point where I was successful enough that it wasn't a big deal. People underneath me were like, I can't do this anymore. I, I remained friends with them. They left. I always would reach out to them. But I'm saying like that swarming, right? Where you had no one to talk to. It was always love bombing, always. I now had an anchor. I like to tell people you need an anchor outside of your cult. Okay. You need somebody to keep you in check. You need someone to be like, you still in the green? Yeah, I am. Okay, cool. I'm going to check back next month and make sure you need that. I didn't have that until the end. I didn't have that voice of reason that was like, that I felt really cared. I definitely had friends and family that were like, this is kind of weird. I don't get it. And I was like, I don't know. It works for me, you know? So finally having that actual voice of reason and me listening to it and being like, what do you think? And they're like, this is bad. And everything had just compounded on top, on top, on top, on top. And I knew at that point, like, I I can't do this anymore. And I ended up joining a Facebook group that was like, it's a support group. And all of my fears were confirmed. (laughs) Everything that I had experienced that I had told was one off, that I was the only one. I was completely figured out that I had been gaslit for almost two years. Everything was a lie. There were screenshots that people had leaked proving like, all kinds of nasty things that the company was doing, not only like morally, eh, but also legally eh, as well. And I just couldn't do it. I was like, I got to take a break. I got to I got to just collect my thoughts. And I, I ended up watching an episode of Aftermath with Leah and Mike. And it was a survivor's episode and they were all giving examples. And I was like, holy shit, I'm in a cult. Like, wow. Like this is Scientology level. (laughs) Like this is Scientology level. Yeah. Aftermath, if our audience doesn't know, is a television series with Leah Remini and Mike Rinder about getting out of Scientology. It's incredible. Highly recommend. And a lot of people that were in cults actually had watched some stuff with Leah and Mike and realized they were in cults. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were talking, you said the word dangerous. And I one thing that stuck out to me about the documentary is like the financial danger. It's the people that were crying, saying like they lost their houses, they're financially ruined. So like, can you walk us through like how how that happens and what the like lasting devastating effects are on these families? So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unchecked mental illness and a lot of ignoring of mental health and self-care, self-care in multi-level marketing. You know, multi-level marketing is so much like, oh, you can fit this into the pockets of all of your times and like every second of your day, like when you're sitting on the toilet, when the water's heating up for the shower, when you're boiling the pasta, like you can work your business in all your pockets of time. And what happens is it's time manipulation and it becomes everything and you become completely obsessed and you hyperfixate on it. I have ADHD. I hyperfixated like crazy on LuLaRoe. And I'm finding coming out of MLM, a lot of MLM victims also have ADHD. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's a connection to the dopamine addiction. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) I'm working on an episode about that. So it just was really interesting to me. And to get in that headspace, to understand that like this is your entire life, it's your personality. You have hedged everything on this. You have convinced everyone in your life that this is the way that you are right, that it works for you. And then all of a sudden it stops 
working because it's a scam and it can't work forever. But you can't admit that it's a scam because you've done so much to keep yourself in that space, right? You've opened up secret credit cards maybe to make that to buy that thing to get that rank because you need that bonus check because you're going to get like a $6,000 bonus but you're going to have to spend $2,000 to get it. But is you're still 4,000 in the plus, so it's fine if I spend a third of my bonus to get my bonus, whatever. And a lot of people don't understand that. They still think I made $6,000 and I'm just like, "No, you didn't." And so when that up and down and in and out goes unchecked, which often does in multi-level marketing because people are not actually taking good records. They are not business owners. They are not getting business training. They have no idea what a spreadsheet is. They don't know what like profit loss. No, nothing. Right. I've asked people, I'm like, do you make a profit and loss? They're like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, okay, that that checks. So MLMs are going to bet on that, right? That you're just going to be, and here's the other thing. They're going to make you so busy with your time manipulation that you're not going to have time to ask those questions or find the answers on your own. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to have to ask whoever you know that it works for. And they're going to be like, well, I just do it like this. And you're like, okay, that works for me. And again, no one are doing, no one's doing any PL. So no one's really looking at what's actually happening. You're only being like, I made $600. And I'm like, but you spent 450. Right. And so what happens is it builds. And when they start to realize that they're in a mess they think they can fix it on their own. Like, I can't tell my husband. I, I've, I've lied to my husband. I've lied to my friend. I've lied to this. I've lied to myself. I've opened up these ghost accounts. I've just opened up this other credit card. I had to borrow money from this. I had to take money here. I'm spending this money on this, but I'm I'm transferring it here and there. And I'm moving things around, robbing Peter to pay Paul to make everything look on the outside okay. And eventually what happens is that bubble will burst and the devastating ones lose their houses, lose their cars, yeah. lose their husbands, lose their families. Some of them lose their lives. Some of them can't handle it. And the ones that maybe are more lucky, maybe just fuck their credit up real bad or Mm -hmm. have a garage full of leggings they can't get rid of or a garage full of jewelry that's toxic that they don't know what to do with because they believed the people that they trusted for so long. And the people that they trusted who nothing, who also completely unqualified are giving them bad advice and they don't know it's bad advice because that's what their upline told them. And that's what their upline told them. And they're really close with the owner. And that's what the owner said. And the owner would never screw us, would they? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just a very, very vicious cycle. And I think a lot of people, one, they don't know what the red flags are, so they can't see them. They can't hear them when they're said the infliction in people's voices, the way that they choose to say the words, they say the loaded language, the adjectives that they choose the word, like, I love you. I want to bless you. I want to give you everything you've ever needed. I I want to save you. I need to help you. And so it's these words where people, anybody, who doesn't want someone to help save them? Who doesn't want someone to help them? You know what I mean? They're just very universal needs. Who doesn't want more money? I mean, the questions they ask you are the stupidest questions ever. Nobody would ever say, no, don't you want more money? No, I'm good. Don't you want more time freedom? I'm fine. Thanks. You know what I mean? And so a lot of times people are in that headspace where they're like, yes, I do want more money and time freedom. I I do want to work part time, but I make full time. Yes, I do want that. And that's all they look at. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't dig deeper and you don't look into those other things, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You get completely taken and lost into a place where not even like a life preserver or an anchor can help you because you've just like spiraled. Mm hmm. So from that moment where you realized, oh, my God, I'm in a cult, what what did you do next? Research. (laughs) 
research in the form of group therapy, found the Facebook group, found the Reddit, the anti-MLM Reddit page, started asking questions that I had asked before, but was in a cult. So no one actually answered, started getting more answers, started talking about it, sharing my story with other people, which in turn got the attention of smaller news media like BuzzFeed and Business Insider mm-hmm. to talk about that kind of stuff. I started speaking with them as a source, giving them information. And then Bloomberg came and said, mm-hmm. hey, we're interested in talking with you. That sort of grew and grew. And I just kept talking because I was one of the only people that was. We have a pretty tight knit group back in the LuLaRoe days. So it was like, who wants to speak to the media? And I was like, I, I spoke in LuLaRoe. I can speak to the media. I was a leader. Sure, I can do that. So that's sort of why that was me. As opposed to somebody else, luck of the draw, I drew, I drew the short straw, yeah. maybe, I'm not sure. And so it, it just sort of compounded, right? And like then more and more and more and more and more. And then I was listening to The Dream when I was filming the Vice documentary. I was listening to The Dream and I was introduced to Jane Marie and I was introduced to Robert Fitzpatrick. And I was like, wait. And I remember like getting out of the car, we were filming The Vice and I was like, we got to get Robert Fitzpatrick. We got to talk to this guy. I'm listening to this podcast. You got to listen to this podcast. Oh my God. Like, like it's so much bigger than I thought. And that's when I was making the first documentary and I still was like, whoa, coltception, bigger, bigger, bigger. And so in that I would then reach out to people and just be like, what's the worst they're going to do? Say no. So I just like emailed Robert Fitzpatrick and I was like, can I talk to you? I have a lot of questions. And he called me. We had like a two hour phone conversation. I was like, I don't expect that to happen, but oh my God, Uh, asking questions. And then who else should I look into? You should talk to this person. You just research, 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 research. Found Stephen Hassan. I was like, oh my God, this is a cult. These are, these are cult taxes. This is exactly, this is exactly what's happening. It just kept going. And I just haven't stopped since. (laughs) I hit the ground running and I haven't taken a break. (laughs) How did you get out though? Like you just stopped buying the boxes? Did they, did they try to keep you in? Like, I mean, so a lot of times cults will threaten you not to leave. Like, but I wonder how they do it in an MLM. They used my why against me. Mm -hmm. I talked about earlier. Right. So that absolutely came into play. That's when I realized, okay, here it is. Here's my vulnerability that we talked about two years ago. And you're using it against me to keep me in when I'm very, very clearly telling you I went out. Lots of boundaries being crossed. So I I had a phone conversation. I had, I had made a couple things I had posted on Facebook. I was like, I, I want to go live and talk to you guys, to my team. My upline messaged me. She's like, what are you going to talk to them about? And I was like, I don't know. Just like, what's on my mind? Well, what's on your mind? And I was like, well, I've figured it out when I go live. I don't really plan these things out. Like, that's just, I just fly by the seat of my pants. I just figured I'd just talk. I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should talk to me about what you're going to talk about before you go live. So I canceled the live. I was like, we're not going live anymore. Because for me, I was like, fuck, why can't I just talk? Like, why are you censoring me before I even spoke? So after that, I removed her from the group because I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, she doesn't need to be up in my business. If I really do own my own business, why are you up in my business? Yeah. Once they start being like starting to control the narrative, control what you're going to say, control, you know, all these things, because if it was just like you were like, hey, this didn't work for me or whatever, like it's this thing where you become enemy number one. Yeah. And anyone who leaves is an enemy. Yeah. But the thing is, and and you risk losing your friends and you risk losing your community and all that stuff, which if it's not a cult, then if you leave, you could still be friends with the people and they don't <laughs> make you an enemy. Yeah. But you're saying, oh, I talked to all these people. The reason that a lot of this stays quiet and a lot of people will leave, but maybe stay silent so that other people stay and think, oh, I guess something was wrong with them 
is the shame, right? You're like, why was I the one talking to everyone? And it's like probably out of like 25 people who left when you did, you're the only one who wasn't ashamed. Oh, I was ashamed. I was (laughs) fucking shameful. I was like, what did I do? Who did I become? What, what? I I even will show like old posts and do like old MLM cringe. Like, look at where I was. It's okay. You can Mm -hmm. get out too. I was cringy and it's all right. Leaving, it was, it was tough. It was hard. Leaving was really hard. Again, the excommunication, people reaching out saying, oh, I'm so sorry you're leaving. I'll always be your friend if you ever need me. And then I go to respond and they're like, this person has blocked you. It's like, great, awesome. (laughs) Thanks. Harassing phone calls that I wouldn't answer, voicemails, text messages, how dare you. Um, We, we agreed you would stay and things like that. And so you know, it was just, it was nasty. And that's, that's when I had like my breakdown. And when I watched Leah Remini and was like, I'm taking a break was when all that was happening, because I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And they were not happy about it. They were trying to get me to stay. I tried to leave LuLaRoe a couple different times the way that they wanted me to. I like emailed this email, bounced back. There was a website link that was dead. And I knew that if I just stopped, that eventually somebody would be like, hey, you're affecting my bonus check. So I just stopped selling it through their thing. And I was just slowly liquidating. And that's exactly what happened in like December of 2017. My upline reached out and they're like, are you going to do this or quit or what? And can we offer you a solution? And I ended up signing a contract saying that I was dissolving my LuLaRoe business, that I would be transferring my team to someone that was lateral. She paid me $500 for my troubles. I signed it. And from that moment on, I was like free. And I believe it was like three days later, I started speaking to the media. I was like, hey, I'm ready to talk. I'd sign that thing today <laughs> if you want to talk to me now. And they're like, OK, let's set this up. How is the shame of family members or people who you had tried to recruit or people? I think there's shame from the inside and there's also shame from the outside where you're like, hey, so um, that was a weird two years anyway. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing that I also experienced and I, I, everyone I talk to feels very similar to this experience. There wasn't so much shame from the people on the outside. They were like, we're happy. We're glad you're out. Thank you. Like, yes, that was weird. I don't really think that you were like that kind of person or, but again, like people are very open when you say I did a bad, bad thing and I'm sorry Mm -hmm. and I'm learning to be better and I've done bad things as has everyone. But the difference is I'm not going to continue doing it because I have learned and I have grown. And when I know better, I do better. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people on the outside that know and see and are aware of what MLMs are and what they do are very welcoming to that. I, I have not really gotten too much backlash. My brother-in-law was like, I told you it was a pyramid scheme. I was like, I know. You know, and that was pretty much the only thing he was like, I told you. And I was like, I know, that's fine. And I'm out. And he listens to my podcast and he's like, that was a great episode. You know, like he's into it. And and so there's that shame, but I feel like it's more your own shame. Like you're so terrified. There's so much anxiety because in the cult, they've told you so many times, like, you know, that you're not worth it or you're not good or whatever it is when you leave. And so you really, truly feel that people feel that way, but it's all in your head and people are so happy when you decide to leave and they're so supportive. And the community of anti-MLM has been infinitely more supportive than my MLM community in any MLM ever was. Uh, That is a universal truth for every single person I've talked to. Nobody has been like, you know what? The MLM was better than this. Like, 
every single person is like, oh, my time freedom is back. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to be on a Zoom call. I don't have to be on this. I don't have to do this. Uh, I can choose. You know what? I'm going to sit this one out, guys. I'm, I'm having kind of a rough weekend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a mental health. No problem. Have a great time. We'll see you next week. Nobody is controlling. Everybody mm-hmm. is just happy and excited. And, and guess what I just learned? Or look what I just found. And we're learning and we're creating and we're growing. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. To be able to have a safe space and to create a safe space where people can come in and say, I want to talk about difficult conversations and how they relate to multi-level marketing. Can we do this? And I'm like, sure. Maybe I'm not the person to talk about that specific issue because I am not part of that group, but I have the platform to be able to give that platform and have those people to come and talk those issues and to talk with people that are in that space and are authorities in that space. And yeah. I think that's really cool. It's a big community. Yeah. And it's safe. So people can ask difficult questions and say, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but X, Y, Z. And people are like, I totally understand. Let me explain it to you. This is why that's offensive. And this is something else to say or something else to do or another way to approach it. And it's beautiful. People are like, thank you for educating me. I had no idea. Yeah. Even people who are dipping their toes in who are like, I'm not fully leaving, but I just have a few questions. Yes. They listen to my podcast. (laughs) Well, the internet has made it really easy for people to connect and learn. So it's not as isolating, which is probably good. I get emails all the time that are like, "Um, when I first found your podcast, I hated your guts. Yeah. But I kept listening because I'm a glutton for punishment. And eventually you talked about my MLM and I was like, "Uh oh, I'm in a cult. And I left (laughs) and I love you now. And I'm like, yay, come on my show and let's talk about it. And it's really great. Wow. Yeah. What are your hopes for the future, you know, through all of this anti-MLM advocacy? What what possibilities do you think are plausible? I mean, I would love to be able to just like be an observer and never have to actually speak into a space. And I could actually hear people saying the things that I have been educating about and like be witness to it happening. You know what I mean? Like I would love to like maybe be in like a restaurant and someone's talking about anti-MLM at a different table and they're referencing things that like maybe I had a hand in helping foster and being like, holy shit, they're talking about, oh my God, should I say hi? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or just that it becomes as normalized, like the anti-MLM yeah, like conversation. Normal. Yeah. I just want people to be like, that's a scam and this is why. Are you lobbying for them to become illegal? Well, you know, it's like taking down tobacco or big pharma. So I don't think that's something that we can do, but we can create a movement and we can educate people. And so when those opportunities that won't ever go away because they're legal scams and they will continue to like just be profitable for for, for the top, when those come into people's inboxes or their DMs or you know, in line at Starbucks or something that they can go, you know what? I actually listen to life after MLM and I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. And be like, and you should probably listen to it too, because been there, done that. And I'm going to save you a lot of time, heartbreak and financial disaster. Yeah. Do you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's the goal is that the education is so much bigger that people are just not joining them anymore. There's thousands of MLMs, right? How amazing would it be if people just stopped joining and all these MLMs had to close because they're not profitable because Mm -hmm. you're the true customer. If you decide I'm not going to spend my money and fill my garage full of nail stickers and eye makeup remover, it's you. That's it's all you. If you can stop it and know and see it and be like, nope, next, 
I mean, I just I think the movement's bigger, right? It's like any other social justice movement. When someone sees something and they go, wait a second, this is an injustice and I need to tell people. And mm-hmm. it just grows from there. And I really think that 2000, especially with COVID and the way the MLMs profited off of people's vulnerabilities and losses during COVID, we had a lot of people leave MLM in 2020 and in 2021, a lot of people left MLM and started anti-MLM content. Mm-hmm. There's way more now. There's I so mean, there's, you can find so much anti-MLM stuff. And like, for me, it was like you, Sarah Edmondson and Leah all happening yeah. at once. Yes. I love all of those women. <laughs> it's so amazing. It's all these women fighting back. It's incredible. My partner is in love with Leah Remini. <laughs> okay. So this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many clarifying questions as you have and then tell me what you would do in that situation. And I get to pick the winner. Again, it's a structurally unsound game, <laughs> just like MLS. My favorite kind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You are driving across town with your partner of three years when they announce that they really, really, really have to pee. They realize that they are right near their ex's house and ask if you can pull over so they can run in and use their ex's bathroom. When they come out 20 minutes later, they confess that their ex thought that them showing up randomly on their doorstep was a big romantic gesture. And before they could even pee, they were making out with their ex. They then excused themselves to pee and made an excuse to get out of there. Would you stay with this small bladdered cheater? I-, <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't. I wouldn't be with anybody that would do that. I feel like there's so many gas stations everywhere that we don't need to go to the ex's house. How do they even know that person's home? Right. That's another one. How do you know the ex's home? Why is that the best bathroom that's available right now? We literally just passed in and out burger and I was hungry. We could have gone there. They have a weird thing <laughs> where they won't go to the bathroom in public bathrooms. Maybe we should talk about adult diapers. That's interesting. <laughs> if that's the only option... <laughs> This one is blowing my mind open a little bit. Like I, <laughs> I just, I would, I, I feel like I wouldn't even know a person that would be like that kind of person. Yeah. So like <laughs> that is confusing on so many levels. I'm trying to imagine a situation because I know where my ex lives and it's on a street where I also get my hair cut. See, but like I can't. They just are so overcome by seeing me. They start kissing me, and I don't go, hey. You know what I mean? You Again, people are very afraid of appearing rude. <laughs> it's rude to show up at their house and ask to pee. It's rude to make out with someone who has an obvious significant other, like, in yeah. the front door, in the car waiting. Like, I don't know. It's strange. This is, I think, a trick. I think my partner is trying to get me to dump them. <laughs> oh, interesting. So I would not stay because that's clearly what they want. It just seems too calculated for me and like I don't mind if you if you have a great relationship with your ex my ex and I are co-parents and we we try to be as good as possible for the sake of our daughter but maybe in an explosive diarrhea situation the bathroom would be totally fine but the the making out is not okay (laughs) yeah okay so pooping okay not kissing got it yeah no no (laughs) kissing no kissing at all yep okay our next game Are you a terrible parent? (laughs) Your child, 10, has decided that all they want to eat for the rest of their life is chicken nuggets and refuse all other food. They say that they would eat 100 chicken nuggets at once if you let them. 
To get them over their chicken nugget obsession, you say that if they can eat 100 chicken nuggets in one sitting, you will stop trying to get them to eat other things and will only feed them chicken nuggets. But if they can't eat all 100, then they have to eat other stuff sometimes too. They agree and then happily eat all 100 chicken nuggets. Are you a terrible parent? Okay, well, I am an expert in this because I do have a 10-year-old daughter who loves chicken nuggets. So this, like, is right there. She would never be able to eat 100 chicken nuggets. She can eat about 10. So I know that even for me, even making that, like, bet, I know I'm winning on that. And she's a great eater. So I've never experienced this, like, only chicken nugget thing. But I'm not about food shaming. And I'm not about forcing people to eat more than they need to. And like the whole toxic diet culture thing. And like I I grew up in a, in a house where it was like, you better eat everything on your plate. And I have like so many lasting like mental anguish issues because of it <laughs> where I was like, food is bad, but not anymore. And so I would never go down that scenario where I was forcing anybody to eat anything to prove any kind of point at all. I would just be like, you know what, kid? Eating chicken nuggets, if that's what you want. I'm, I'm just happy that you're eating something and you're not starving to death. That's how I would I have go. a question. Yes. <laughs> I think I would be like, wow, that was so impressive. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go into competitive eating? I'm so glad that you brought this up. I'm raising the next Joey Chestnut. Exactly. I'm really glad you went there, Gabby, because what you've really done is unlock the talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a whole nother thing I wouldn't even think of. So there you go. You are a great parent. If you've got a kid that can eat that many, by all means, Joey Chestnut, that baby. <laughs> yeah. Kobayashi. <laughs> Kobayashi. Okay. Our final game. Is this a date? You are getting a haircut and your hairstylist asks if they can take a picture of your new do for their Instagram. You say yes, thinking they will take the photo in the salon. But once you agree, they try to schedule a time to come to your home. To take a picture because posts of people in their natural habitats perform much better online. Is this a date? Um, that is a boundary issue with your hairstylist. And as a hairstylist, I feel like I am also an expert on this question. And if your hairstylist is doing that, you should find a new hairstylist. That's weird. Wow, we have a real hairstylist here, an expert, giving her opinion. <laughs> and yeah, I... I don't want anyone coming to my house ever. (laughs) Don't date your hairstylist, especially if you like your haircuts, because it's harder to find a new hairstylist than a new significant other, I think. (laughs) Yeah, Mal cuts my hair. My partner cuts my hair now. And let me tell you, it's it's a real client hairdresser relationship. (laughs) I am very like I have a lot of pressure to be like, I love it. I will say when I cut the hair of people that I'm very close to, like first and second degree, they are uh, more snippy than a regular person. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, it looks, how does this, um, ow, you're pulling my hair. And I was like, I am not pulling your hair. I'm combing it the same way. No one else complains. Well, no one else would say anything. And I was like, you're such a baby. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think you got to ghost, ghost them. Not a date. It's a it's a creepy thing and you need to get a new hairstylist because I feel like they're trying to rope you into a cult or some sort of weird like, do you want to live in this cave in my basement and put lotion on your skin (laughs) kind of thing? (laughs) Well, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to live in your basement so you could put lotion on their skin. (laughs) 
See, I, I kind of felt that way, Allison. I was like, hmm. You have good uh, intuition and now your spidey sense is up for anything that might be cultish or kidnapping. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Never follow a stranger to a second location ever. True. So. That's a great point. Especially if that second location is your home. Your own house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody needs to know my address. Honestly, my policy is nobody needs to know where I live. I don't even know where you live. Right. I have a P.O. box if you want to send me something. So. Yeah. Even my own family. They're like, what's your address? I'm like, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and more about you? Oh, I'm everywhere. If you TikTok, I'm on TikTok, Berta Like Whoa. If you're on Instagram, The Real Roberta Blevins, you can listen to my podcast, which is an anti-MLM, anti-scam, anti-cult education, advocates, activists, survivors, and experts. Life after MLM, wherever you listen to podcasts, I think everywhere. And yeah, wherever you want to find me, type it in. Roberta Blevins, you'll you'll find me. You'll find me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about facing our fears. Yuck. No, thank you. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. 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 <sighs> Facing your fears. Facing your fears. Well, I did joke that I was going to take 10 more minutes to talk about ants, which if anyone has listened to this podcast all the way from the beginning to now, you know that I, I am terrified of ants. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about like... Why? We could talk about that. Any fear is game. But I think you wanted to talk about something else. Yeah, I hate being vulnerable. I hate it. No one should ever witness me. I don't want... You're a public figure who goes out of their way to, to talk to everybody and reveal your life. But do I or is it a persona? Well, it's a persona. Exactly. So <laughs> less and less, it's a persona. But, you know, I think I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like saying I don't like saying that I need anything. I don't like acting like I'm not completely in control. I don't like being vulnerable and I hate feelings. But so why do you feel compelled to face those fears anyway? Because you can't have productive human relationships without it. Mm -hmm. I can't have dated Mal and like not be vulnerable. Unfortunately, sometimes it does work out. Like when I have faced that and just been like, okay, I'm just going to say exactly what I need and say, you know, the exactly what's going on, even if it sounds stupid to me or it's embarrassing, I just have to do it. So I do it and then it turns out better because then the person has all the information and like it just, you know, even if it's something I'm ashamed of or it doesn't make sense. Once I say it, one, the power goes away from it because you've said it out loud. And two, the other person then better understands you. And so you're not just butting heads over like miscommunicating. You're actually like talking about things, which I freaking hate doing. But after you do it is turns out like human relationships are better. <laughs> I've like developed this fear of being public with things and say, like I have developed this fear that I'm going to say something and it's going to ruin my life. I've done it. I've done it multiple times. <laughs> I, I, that's why I can't. I'm like literally off social media and I had anxiety. I posted something on Instagram, just a photo, and I had complete anxiety about it because I posted it and then I went, I'm not even that person anymore. I have to take this down. Like and it was five minutes. I mean, it's it's wild. That was my whole life. 
I cannot ever see myself using Twitter. I'm like very measured with Instagram. I used to be on Instagram all day, every day. I look at it maybe once every couple of days. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's fear. I'm like scared of it now. Yeah. I don't think it's worth it. I'm like sitting here doing my writing, doing my work, writing my scripts, like writing my, you know, book. And I'm like, one, I've started viewing it as a waste of time. And two, I'm like, if people are determined to misunderstand each other on the internet, then like, why am I contributing to that? Nobody talks about in good faith. Nobody takes anything you say in good faith. Yeah, I mean, so like, but I also feel like, you know, this is a big part of my career. And it's, you know, it's also like, how can you do kind of advocacy without talking about things publicly, know, you know, and so know. it's tricky. But yeah, like, I think continuing to engage online is almost every single day me facing a fear that I'm like going to say something dumb, I'm going to say something wrong, I'm going to say something harmful, I'm going to say something bad, I'm going to, I'm going to get canceled, I'm going to like, you know, and I just have to be like, Oh, well, here we go doing this again. <laughs> yeah. And it has happened to me. I've like lost career opportunities. I've I think I've been canceled two big times and then just soft canceled like once a week. Like, <laughs> like I just it's not true, though, because you're still getting career opportunities. You're not act, like cancellation is not even real. Yeah, I'm talking about losing opportunities a, a few times mm -hmm. because of something I said online. Like that thing that I used to do, I used to just bang out tweets like that thing that I used to do is now too scary for me to do. And you know what? Let's talk about facing your fears. Sometimes you're scared of something for a reason. And sometimes you're scared of it. And that's protecting yourself. And you don't have to face every fear. Sometimes you just have to be like, I'm scared of that. And you know what? I'll just stay away from it. Or sometimes I don't even let myself think about how afraid I am because there's nothing I can do. <laughs> so yeah. like, I'm going to have to like knee surgery soon I'm not really even letting myself think about it very much exactly I, I kind of know that I need to get it and it's something that's happening and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go in and do it <laughs> and I'm not yeah. gonna like if I when I start to think about like oh I'm gonna be on crutches for six weeks how am I gonna get places how am I gonna do this how am I gonna do that I don't even like go there in my brain because I know that it's a fear that I have to face and therefore I'll deal with it after I faced it yeah I mean, there's stuff that you can't face. Like I have like a sleep paralysis thing where I hallucinate that there's a man in my house. Now, if someone was going to come in to my house and murder me, there's nothing I can do. I can lock the doors. I could have like a, a, you know, whatever. But like that's out of my control. So if I sit there and I like panic, work myself into a panic being like, what if someone comes in my house? It's like, but it's not happening right now. That's not what's happening. You can be reasonably safe and whatever. And like, if your fear is someone coming to murder you, what can you do about that? Like that's other than um, you can't face that. So like I have to work on like eating right and like getting enough sleep and like not having that sleep paralysis, not doing the things that will give me that sleep paralysis, eating dairy late at night, whatever it is. And then also like find out what's behind that fear. Like maybe I need to watch less true crime. Maybe I need to... I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. Just like these things where it's like you're worried about something that's like not happening and that you you don't foresee happening, but you really couldn't foresee happening it happening. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm talking about here. Here I'm talking about things that like are actually like upon you. <laughs> right. But like I think it's like creates anxiety about a thing that's like not even happening. Which is a different thing than when you like, you know, like when I had to like go back to school, I had to like face my fear of like being in school and like having yes. homework again. Like yes. that like sucked. But again, 
like my trick is I try not to think about it too much until you're in the middle of it. Like, yeah, until like it's there. like happening. Like, I, cause I have a real issue with anticipation anxiety. Like I get really anxious mm-hmm. about things before they happen. So I've learned and who knows if this is healthy or this is just straight up avoidance. But like, if I'm about to face a fear, I have, I face it by not thinking, <laughs> by thinking about it as little as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But I know that's not possible for everybody. I know some people like, you know, you pushed out a thought just magnifies tenfold. And that's very common. But for me, for whatever reason, with certain things, I'm able to just not really think about it until mm-hmm. it's happening, which I found to be helpful. Yeah. The only thing you can do is kind of put measures in place. So like if something happens, what are you going to do? Or like if you're anticipating this, sometimes you can you can go, OK, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to learn breathing techniques or I'm going to learn medi- meditation or I'm going to learn how to like keep myself grounded in a situation, whether that's, you know, you get some sort of grounding thing, like a rubber band for your wrist to snap or like something, you know, that that helps you with like not disassociating, whatever it is, there's ways to go into situations that you know are going to be scary, but have tools. Yeah, I mean, I think a great thing to do in addition to all that stuff really is just increase your tolerance for distress, right? Right like a big thing I'm working on, you know, in therapy is that like, I can handle distress. Like I can Mm -hmm. handle, you know, learning that you can handle these uncomfortable feelings. It doesn't mean you're not uncomfortable. It just means that like you can handle them. And so I think we sort of approach this thing of like, well, how do I get so that I'm not afraid of flying, but it's more, how do I get to a place where my fear of flying is okay? (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that makes exactly. sense. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. No, yeah. And that I have the techniques available to to handle it. Right. And like, that's what I mean about like being scared of someone breaking into my house, right? It's like, you can't control that. You can control letting that fear take over and, and like living in fear of a thing that's not happening and hasn't. You know what I mean? Like having the ability to like calm yourself down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If something bad did happen to you, here's a question. If like you had something bad happen to you, like let's say you got in a really bad car accident, like because my thing comes out of nowhere. But let's say I got into a bad car accident, knock on wood, and then I had to drive again. That to me is so inspiring when someone can do that. Yeah. Like when someone is like facing a fear based in reality, I'm like, whoa. I mean, this isn't the same thing, but, you know, since my knee dislocated in February, Every single day, I'm worried that my knee's going to give out. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, you know, even just like when I had a subluxation like a month or two ago, and then I took my first big walk to my nail salon. And I was like, well, I just really hope I don't collapse here. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, and obviously the fear is way more intense than the reality. And in a year's time, I've only had three incidents. So most days, majority, 99% of the days, my knee does not give out. Still, though, you know, you still have that fear. And it's just like being like, if I collapse, I collapse. I have my cell phone. I'll call somebody, you know, just mm-hmm. like setting up little things where it's like I wouldn't go somewhere maybe without my cell phone. Because Mm -hmm. like, what if I even if I'm just like walking in the dogs, like maybe I need that just in case. Mm -hmm. But like you set up these little measures and then you just have to live your life. Yep. And at a certain point, the the pull to live your life hopefully outweighs the fear. Yeah. Well, Melissa, do you want to join us? (laughs) What a poignant discussion. I know. Jeez. (laughs) That I did not want to be a part of. (laughs) I I hear (laughs) you. I didn't want to be a part of it, but here we are. Me neither. Your faces 
are on the logo for the show. So guess what? You got to be on everything. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was a topics and I just went like, actually, j- me and Melissa are going to sit this one out. Allison, <laughs> take it away. <laughs> and it's just a rant. Yeah. It's just me writing fan fiction about my dogs. Yeah, exactly. That would be a great podcast, actually. No, no. It's so weird. I hear crickets. Anyway. Um... <gasps> oh, my God. I don't know if that would be one I want to produce. <laughs> they have vibrant personalities. Inner lives. Okay. <laughs> what do you rate this episode, Melissa? Oh, this is a good episode. I'll give it 30 out of 20 pyramid schemes. Cool. Mm. But legal. Oh, legal pyramid schemes. <laughs> the real problem. I'll give it seven out of six. ADHD diagnoses. Oh. And I will give it 12 out of 9 forced vulnerabilities from Gabby. Gross. Grody. Adrian <laughs> Grody. We hate it. Well, this was like, I think we really covered a lot of ground. And I enjoy when our episodes are diverse like this. Me too. That's my favorite part about this show is that you, who knows where we're going to go? Probably everywhere. Listen, if you don't like one part, there's another part coming up. So thank you to Roberta Blevins for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Bohm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash team or youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, Allison, what's your Substack? Substack.com slash emotional support lady. And I'm at patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn. Okay, bye! Bye! Forever! Yeah.